0: Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Matt, and today on Streams of Progress, I am joined by Rania and Zainia Kanan, who are the co-founders of Cherry Cycle. We had an awesome conversation about everything from bootstrapping a business to the upcycling revolution, and even reflected on how businesses can contribute to making our world a better place to live in. I know you're really going to enjoy hearing from Rania and Zaina, so join us as we dive into the conversation. So I'm here with Rania and Zaina Kanan the sisters and co-founders of Cherry Cycle. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Glad to have
0: you here. I've actually been looking forward to this conversation for a long time to have you on the podcast
1: Okay, cool. Um,
0: because we've been friends for quite a while and a lot of has happened since then. You know, you've grown Cherry Cycle tremendously and uh, we're going to get into all of that. So we're talk about the business and talk about your opportunity for growth and where you see it going. Um, but before we get to that, you know, we'd love to hear more about your background and your story. What led you? to where you are today so if one of you want to just share some of that sure
2: so around uh i would say four years ago um i bought a very expensive bicycle and uh i was doing another startup at, the, at that time it was failing and it was taking a lot of our money and everybody shouted at me for buying an expensive bike at the time when i shouldn't be buying anything really and then zena's like well i want the bicycle but i want it in a specific color and i don't want you know any bicycle So she's like, I'm just going to buy one and we'll fix it somewhere. And, uh, so we got one, a cheap one, um, mixed some paint, uh, removed the paint off of the frame on our balcony in an apartment block, uh, repainted it and every, and she put flowers on the basket. And every time Zena would ride her bike, people would ask her where she got it from. Mm. So we started realizing, oh, well, you know, there's an opportunity.
0: There's an interest Um, in this product. Absolutely.
2: And Zena was working, uh, in, in a refugee camp at the time. Mm in the West Bank and every time she would ask a child you know uh, what do you want they would say a bicycle Mm. and so um, and we also realized that we can get and source a lot of good bicycle frames that have been dumped Mm. Um, we can take them and refurbish them and make them look and function like brand new bikes. So we were able to capitalize on the environmental element, the giving back element, and the customization because you can practically choose any color that you want on your frame. Mm. So that's how we started, basically. Okay,
0: that was the genesis of uh, Cherry Cycle right there. So tell me more. So you, you said you purchased a bicycle yeah
2: it's both of them are here by the way
0: the the original bicycles yeah the one I
2: purchased (laughs) and the ones that we made for Zena on the on the balcony and so so
0: for the benefit of the listeners we are here in your warehouse (laughs) that's right in in Uh Alkuz, which is your storage facility for the bicycles and uh, so the original one that that you had is is here with us okay very good and so then you said you 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 found another bicycle you stripped it down you did the painting on your balcony and then you just started riding it around the community and people said where did you get that right
1: exactly so like we well I was really excited to ride it because I really wanted a bicycle for the longest time Mm. and so it's such a vibrant color and you get so much attention and I think like we forget that like when you see a unicorn in the street you're like whoa where Mm. did this come from (laughs) in Dubai if you see someone on a bicycle that's colorful and beautiful it's kind of like a walking unicorn so Mm -hmm. I used to get a lot of stops and a lot of smiles and a lot of car horns believe them (laughs) believe it or not but um yeah that's essentially how people started to ask where is this from like it looks like an alien where did you get it from
0: but going Um, from having a beautiful bicycle to turning it into a business that's a big leap you know so how did you think of making this into an actual company and something that you would that you'd manufacture and sell
2: I I think it really started off as you know we're passionate about bikes and if you want a bike that looks like mine fine I know how to make one I'll make you one you Mm. know that's how it really started and for the longest time we're like You know, because we were really tired from our first business, to be honest. And we were just like, you know, when you're failing, you're like, I suck at this. And Mm -hmm. um, and so this was just like, we don't want to turn this into a business yet. This is something we love doing. We love bicycles. We love, we want more people to be on bikes. Mm -hmm. And it's really started as, you know, we're passionate about bicycles. And then we started realizing, okay, the demand is increasing. We're doing something nobody else is doing, um, because who's the crazy person that's going to sell bikes in the desert, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, you know, the demand started growing. So it stopped. We Zena had already left her full-time job because she was working full-time on the other business. Um, I was reaching a point where I had to choose between making bikes or, yeah. you know, uh, sticking to what I was doing before. Mm-hmm. And so we're like, okay, well it's time. There is, there comes a time when you're making revenue or, you know, making, uh, selling a certain product or service to people where you realize, okay, it's time to actually either commit and be serious about this or just, Leave it as a hobby.
0: Right, and move on to something else. And
2: we chose to commit because Mm -hmm. we felt there is a lot of potential in what we're doing. We Mm -hmm. still think so, I mean. Mm -hmm.
0: I want to touch on something. You said something interesting that um, you had another business. So you guys are serial entrepreneurs. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I
1: (laughs) think what it is is... I I think we don't like to label ourselves as anything. Okay. But what I really think it is, is that we're addicted to creating stuff. Mm. We're addicted to creating social impacts. We're addicted to creating creative concepts that Mm -hmm. benefit people, benefit the environment, and benefit far-fetched communities. Mm. And when you have that kind of addiction, you could take it to the next level. So for us, it's through business. I mean, that's what we know. That's what we love to do. Um, Startups is something we've learned how to... It's a language we've learned how to speak. And so we... We like the discomfort of startups and we also enjoy the fact of risk-taking. So put them Mm -hmm. together and then you have us creating more and more startups. Mm -hmm. Personally, I come from more of the creative background and the design aspect. And if you want to excite me about anything, give me something to design that Mm -hmm. I can see in my head, but then I want to translate it into real life. And for me, essentially, I've always been in marketing. So building brands that way, using my creativity is always something that feeds my soul. Mm -hmm. And I think more than anything, that is what we like to create, um, you know, because we're in a city that is advanced and because there are so many, uh, business opportunities here, we, our venue has become startups mm-hmm. to do that.
0: So tell us a little bit more about your first startup. How did that work? Yeah.
1: Oh. What's the story there? <laughs> okay. it, was, it was such a fun project. Um, we kind of wanted to create a, the Etsy of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we opened a website that was essentially started because I wanted to sell my art and okay. I wanted to commercialize it. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find a platform in the Middle East that supports that apart from galleries or something offline. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, why don't we just open a website for for me? But then we started to speak to a lot of artists, crafters, designers, even food makers. And Mm. they're like, we want that too. We have the same problems you're facing. Mm -hmm. And so we're like, why not open it up to all these people?
0: Mm -hmm. And was that based here in the UAE? It was based in the UAE.
1: And we started off um, talking to our friends and then, you know... I think two years into the business, we had around a thousand stores, like virtual stores open. Mm -hmm. From the Middle East. Yeah, from around the Middle East, North Africa. Mm -hmm. And they were all um, mostly women who make handmade stuff for housewives or and this was a perfect source of income for them and a way to become their own entrepreneurs. So essentially we taught artists, crafters and designers in the region how to set up their own online business and how to think of pricing, marketing, Mm -hmm. designing uh, with a very intense approval system. So Mm -hmm. We would manage the entire operation. We had to do a lot of more hand holding than you would on Etsy, for example, because people in the region are not used to drop shipping. Our model was drop shipping. So then we had to do a lot of the, the work that nobody really liked to do. And eventually it caught up with us, and we didn't like to do it either. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we were too early to market. This, I mean, the time we opened a marketplace model and dropshipping model was the time that the whole Middle Eastern region only had one player and they've been pumping so much money into that player and that is the reason it was staying afloat mm-hmm. until today, a few months ago, they just exited basically and sold, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is they had to really be resilient with the amount of money that they're raising and how they're spending it and wait and wait and wait until finally somebody bought them out. Mm-hmm. Um, in our case, it was different. It was a niche industry. There will never be as many handcrafters today in the Middle East as there are electronic shops. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a very different metric. And so the, the option of scalability was not something that investors saw. The idea of, um, Basically, not just scalability, but also the idea of the drop shipping model, where they did not control uh, the stock themselves and the shipping, kind of put them on edge. So we could never raise for the project, and we've invested all our money into it. And eventually, we just couldn't sustain it anymore.
0: And as a business, it wasn't profit making. You couldn't sustain it through cash flow.
2: Not yeah. enough. No, mm-hmm. not not at all. Actually, and I think any business for the at least for the first three years. I mean, you give it time. You know, you give it room to grow, but we at that point we had reached i think 5 or 6 years and it's it was still not growing and i think we were stubborn about letting it go maybe because it's our first business you're always like of no course. but this is my baby uh-huh. um but yeah you have to learn you know when you when you you know realize something's failing just you know celebrate it and mm-hmm. take what you learned and move on to the next uh, mm-hmm. it is the real it is starting your own business is real life mba it's not you know uh it's not to a practice run. No, right? it's a real thing. And I always my dad used to always ask me, like, aren't you interested in doing an MBA? And I'll always go, like, I am doing an MBA. You know, whatever mm-hmm. money I'm sp- I'm going to spend on an MBA, I'm spending on a business, even if it's going to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh what I what we learned from it is not failure whatsoever. So
0: And what's the status of that original company now? Is it is it wound down? There's no more company. We or? use it
2: for other other startup ideas. Yeah. I mean we use the company, you know, the trading license but Mm -hmm. we don't it's yeah it's It's totally we have have the database for sure Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah Mm.
0: and those uh, all those different artists who are on the platform you know they they had such a vibrant opportunity to sell to to the marketplace is there anything that they've been able to transition to are you aware of in the market? You know,
1: not so much. But some of them who are more serious about their crafts went on to platforms like Souk or yeah. now like Noon. If they do good craftsmanship and if they really care about what they do and invest into improving mm-hmm. it, then um, they essentially could be good standard enough to sell on another marketplace mm-hmm. model. Um for us, that was the hardest part for us, is that we need to vet all of these artists all around the Middle East, North Africa. We're talking about 22 countries. It's intense. Yes. So we needed to have a very strong vetting process to make sure that it's off quality. And a lot of times it's not. Like any marketplace model, sometimes you buy something from someone and it's just not what it is, right? right. So... Um, I wouldn't say they have a platform today that is exactly similar to that, but I think they've become a lot more aware on how to sell their products, how to price them, mm-hmm. and I think they've become a little bit more um, risk-taking in the sense that they're more open to the online space, mm-hmm. so they're okay going to Etsy and placing their products there. They have they know how the system works. They know what payment is. They trust the system more, so we've done that kind of groundwork, mm-hmm. um, and now they are open to going to international platforms, not necessarily for the Middle East, and and selling to the world at large, I think.
0: What are the uh, key learnings that you were able to take from your first business that would, I think, be relevant for Cherry Cycle? Yeah. What are the things that you learned through the process? I a
2: lot. Yeah. We, we did every, every single thing we did in Ananasa, We did the opposite of in Cherry Cycles. <laughs> <Okay. Yeah. laughs> uh, in Cherry Cycles, we were shipping from, you know, we looked at the region as the region. We forgot that if there are actually 22 different countries. Uh, our nationalistic pride came in, mm. and we thought it's like one big country which is there are borders and different rules and regulations everywhere Um, so we made it you know based out of one place which is the UAE Um, uh, that's one learning the second learning is don't tackle 22 different markets all at once start somewhere start small start niche and slowly grow your product offering your product lines your um and your target market so mm-hmm. we really started with it was very specific our target market was very well defined whereas before we were sell, we were selling to anybody and everybody that you know is interested in crafts this time we really defined who our target market is it was females aged Uh, 25 to 50 um, usually starting families uh, newlyweds have babies Mm -hmm. and that's our target market so we started really targeting and focusing on that and then we started getting high bar frames to target males and and then we expanded to hotels and restaurants so we really started small and grew rather than just like let's just sell to everyone so I think that was also a key learning um, thing and the third one was you have to keep a positive cash flow I mean do not think that you know money is going to fall from the sky or you know if you if your cash flow uh, is weak your you, no matter how amazing your business is your company will is, will fail i mean it's cash is king so. mm-hmm.
1: yeah think, i mean just to add actually to that i think there are two other learnings one of them is that I think know your market and don't be blindsided by it. You know, like the reason Ananas failed is not because we weren't able to get artists and it's not because we weren't able to make sales. It failed because it was in a a place where it's too advanced to the market that it's in. This concept of marketplace models did not exist. So you're basically trying to educate 22 countries to operate in a system that is five years in advance. So I think it's very important to know that and to acknowledge it, so not to be blindsided by it. And I think the second thing that's really great about Ananasa that taught us a lot, not just for this startup, but for any other startup we want to embark on and any project we're working on right now, and that is to set up um, um, a startup in in the UAE. It's a certain structure. And I think we've tweaked the structure so much for us that it's kind of in our heads we know exactly what we need. So tell me today, Zaina, do you want to open a falafel shop? I'll tell you exactly what you need, you know, like one, two, three, four, five six. I wanted to. (laughs) Only
2: last week. I only wanted to open one last week. The one lasted for one whole week and that was it.
0: (laughs) And I hear you have a secret recipe, is that right? Yes. (laughs) We do have a
2: secret recipe. So
0: let me know when you open the the, uh, shop. We have to take
2: you to to the like the best falafel place in In the 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 UAE. UAE. Okay. It's our little secret. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah.
1: So basically like I think it's irrelevant of what industry you're in. If you tell me, like, I want to do this, I know exactly what you need to do in terms of your marketing strategy, in terms of your business strategy, in terms of your operation, in terms of your licenses, legalities, numbers. Mm-hmm. It kind of like, it's in my head. So it makes it a lot easier to dream, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So if you want to start a new concept or something, you know exactly what needs to be done
1: exactly. in
0: order to meet the milestones to be legal and to start going exactly. in business. And- yeah.
1: So it's like a, and like our first project or our first business was honestly a boot camp into this is what you need learn it memorize it apply it to anything else that you do
2: you yeah. know? and more more important than anything is fail it's okay like yeah. really it's okay to fail because you will not learn unless you fail if you know if you have a weekend if every day is a weekend you won't appreciate the weekend <laughs> <laughs> so really just fail I, I think for, for the longest time, we were not letting go because we were, f- you know, that fear of failure. We grew up in side where you have to, you know, finish university quickly and be on top of your class. And, you know, and you have to run through life. You know what? If you're not on top of your class, it's okay. You'll find something to be on, you know, mm. the best at eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think just do your best. And if you fail, just... That's I think that's the key learning is be okay with it. Yeah, and just (laughs) fail. I mean embrace it, you know.
0: And take risks. You know, as an entrepreneur you have to you know to grow and and to do what you want to do in order to achieve your vision, you know, yeah. for your company. Um, how old is cherry cycle
2: four years now? Four years already. Yeah. I think we officially launched, which is when we launched our website, October of 2014.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and tell me about the early days. So what was it like in the first couple months, so the first funny. six months?
2: It was honestly it was so funny. Yeah. I
1: remember one day, uh, we had to make an order. And we were living in downtown in a skyscraper, so there is no land around us to mm. do anything,
2: let there alone is bicycles. Like a desert land somewhere.
1: <laughs> so I, I remember this was like eight at night, eight p.m. at night. We go down to this like desert area that is almost a construction site, and I have a, like my phone light on, and then yeah. is like mechanicing and a bicycle. <laughs> it's in there. I'm it's like
2: removing some nuts and yeah. bolts, oh. and, and, and like Zena, the dust is getting in.
1: <laughs> and you see like people, workers passing by and they're like, what is going what on, is this on there? What is sketchiness that's going on? It's so on. sketchy. It's two women in a construction field working on, a, on bike, a bike. And that became like the site that we go to, to do the bikes for the orders. <laughs> it was so dodgy and ghetto at it the was. beginning. But there was, we had no space. We also had no money to rent for the space. So we mm-hmm. needed to just use and nature. And yeah, we were
2: just, you know, making do, you know, you yeah. just, you figure out, you figure it out as you go sometimes. Yeah. And, yeah. Until the first 10 bicycles.
1: And then we're like, we need to give this operation to someone to outsource it. And then we met this guy who spoke no language, he's been here all of his life from Bangladesh, no English, no Arabic, no Urdu no, no no nothing <laughs> and we used to sign language with him telling okay. him what colors we need, how we needed it I actually learned
2: a new language it is Skander's language, it's okay. not English it's not Arabic, it's like this form of weird vocabulary that he uses and wow. that I picked up on that I understood mean s- certain things in his I don't know, made up language And yeah. but like we
1: had to, you know, this had to be done because otherwise we'll still be in the construction site working yes. on the bicycles and so 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 that was kind of the upgrade. Like now we know we have a painter who's willing to do this because no other garage here was willing to do our bicycles. You know, like they do cars. Like, why do we do bicycles? Who does bicycles in the city? Look at the city, look around you. And
0: how did you find this guy? How did you find your painter?
2: It was the first, okay. (laughs) So the first painter actually, my mom is a regular customer in Satwa, you know, like these different shops. She loves like finding these hidden gem places. And she Mm -hmm. asked them, she's like, do you know a a garage that would be willing? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I have a friend of mine. He's very good. Mm. Not very good at all <laughs> <laughs> we know that now,, yeah. and so we went, we met up with him at ten p m at night because like I had a full time job, Zena mm. was working on Ananasa. so our timings were always like ten p m or like yeah and um, but that 's the thing like you have to take risks, like you said, and suppliers sometimes have to disappoint you in order for you to find a better supplier. We changed mm-hmm. suppliers i don 't know maybe six, seven times throughout our operation, yeah. and but our bikes. You know, every time we change the supplier, we change it for the better. So they only went from bad to better and Mm. and best. Yeah, we keep improving. (laughs) So, yeah. So people have to fail you for you to find better product and and to improve yourself and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So Mm -hmm. it's a learning curve.
0: So then after you had your first, I guess, was it a warehouse that you were doing painting in or was it a garage? No,
1: it was an gar- industrial garage. So we, it wasn't ours. It was uh, mm-hmm. at that time Skander's well, or maybe someone so else. So you're he hiring out for. space basically Yes, exactly. Okay. So we hire the people who know how to do the work, who have the fit out and the yes. industrial license to do it, to actually do the work. You mm-hmm. know, we just put the pieces together. hmm Um, And tell us,
0: where do you source the bikes and the materials from?
1: Yeah. Uh. Yeah, well, the bikes, the thing is, it's very interesting because we didn't know this until we decided to go and get some adventure in the industrial areas in Sharjah and, Mm. uh, and Dubai, which is areas that we noticed women never go to. Mm. And every time we're there, people look at us like we're aliens. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's because we're female, not what, for what any What are you doing reason. here? Yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah, what are you doing here? Is, yeah. uh,
1: but it's definitely a very different world than anything. And I think it's a very big, prominent part of the UAE that is a must-see for anyone. Mm. So basically, there you learn about what comes into shipments into the UAE, like the cargo-heavy containers. Yes. And one thing we've learned is that because Dubai is an import-export hub, a lot of the times products come in and go out to other countries, to developing countries. There was containers coming into the UAE on a weekly basis almost, filled with bicycles that have been curated from landfills or have been rescued from ponds. Mm. Um, vintage, really old, rusty, broken, hazardous frames mm. that are just piled on top of each other in this container. It comes to the UAE. It kind of stays for a while, and then it goes to developing countries like Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan. Mm. And it's sold there, or it's trashed there. And sometimes they use these bicycles to scrap here for scrap metal. Mm -hmm. And so when we looked deeper at this, we realized that these bikes come from Japan. They're all vintage frames, but Japan does not have excess. They have excess supply of bicycles that are dumped in landfills. And because steel never rusts or corrodes, what happens is it just stays there. So instead they collect it, they put it in a container, and they sell it to developing countries. So mm-hmm. essentially they're exporting their excessive waste problem yep. to countries that and are still making money on it, which is super unfair, isn't it, <laughs> when you think about it?
0: It's a scrap product for yes, them, but exactly. yeah, they're selling scrap. Um,
1: and so basically when we realize that, that there's endless supply, and because what we do is upcycling, so mm-hmm. you start to realize the world is the limit when it comes to upcycling. It's also, upcycling is the future. Because mm. if you look at us and the way we are producing and trashing stuff. well, In that space, if you upcycle, then you will never have the supply bottleneck. You will never be in a place where you're unable, you don't have supply stream. This mm-hmm. it will never happen because you're selling to people who there's one person buying from you and there are 20 others buying new products yep. and that are going to trash these new products mm-hmm. in the next God knows how long. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is, only last year did we start getting people to Cherry Cycles who want us to upcycle bicycles that are being sold by our competitors, like direct competition in the UE. Really? And when that happened, so we looked last at, year. Yeah, we looked at the bikes and we're like, wow. Like, you know, if, like, this is how fast things happen, you mm-hmm. know, like essentially no matter how good your bike is and no matter how new it is, you're still going to trash it and we can rework on it and we can rework on it not once, but five times. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that We're more of a service house than we are of a product house, really. When mm-hmm. you think about it, mm-hmm. we're servicing bicycles. We're servicing a product to give it a lifelong. And then you can always come back and change it over. Mm-hmm.
0: But it is a beautiful product. And I got to say, you know, I'm a customer Yeah, <laughs> That's
2: so You're much a fun customer. before we knew you, like, before we knew each beautiful. other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was a customer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I bought one for my wife for her birthday and it's, it's beautiful and she loves it. Yeah, and so amazing. we still use it, you know, on a weekly basis. Yeah, cool. And, uh, we have one of these child seats and everything and, yeah, and their cool. kids love it as well. Yeah. So I can Test to the quality of the product is yeah, what i'm trying amazing. to say here and also i can tell you so we live in the marina and when, when i ride it around the marina i get lots of head turns yeah you, you do, know huh? people yeah
2: they're very know. charming bikes yeah Absolutely. they're like dogs you know like <laughs> dogs turn head the turn heads also. sure sure <laughs> sure
0: so um tell us more about your business model your go-to-market and how is that working for you What's your sales strategy
2: (laughs) i mean sales strategy we started off selling to you know individuals uh just anybody who wants to bike who wants anybody who wants to buy a bike with a you know with a conscience not just buy any bike that's probably made in china made really cheap and produces a lot of pollutants um so we started realizing from there then on who our target market is Uh, a lot of expats people that miss home, they miss these, you know, commuter bikes that they see everywhere in, in Europe, specifically in the States. Uh, so we started targeting these people and then we started realizing in order to grow, we need to scale, right? We need to sell, uh, get one client that would buy 100 bikes or 200 bikes at a time or upcycle 200 bikes. And that's what when we started realizing, okay, these hotels and restaurants are probably our a ticket to selling a, a bigger amount, you know, and keeping this business viable and sustainable. Because uh, cycling in the UAE is not a lifestyle. In Europe, it's a lifestyle. It's where people, you know, what people, how people go from A to, to, to B. Here, it's a little bit different. It's more of a leisurely activity on the weekend. You take the kids out. Um... Uh, So we started targeting hotels and restaurants and that really helped us increase our our revenues and sales and even proved the concept even further. Um, And now what we're looking at or where we're looking at expanding is Europe. I mean, the UAE has been... Great, a great test market for us uh, to test what works, what doesn't, to you know improve our product and improve the quality. We always keep improving the quality. I mean, you never stop. You're, you're. No matter how beautiful your product is or how amazing it is, it's always you know 80 percent complete, 85 percent complete. You always want to you know reach 100 percent, but it's you'll never, in my mind, you'll never reach 100 percent when you're developing a product. Um, and so we're looking at uh, you know entering Europe. Um, we still don't know exactly where we're doing a little bit. We have done research. I did a mechanics course in London, uh, and and learned a lot about mechanics, and as well as you know the lay of the land in uh, in 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 London. And we, have, we always visit uh, different European cities to see what the market's like, what the um, obstacles of entering the market are. Uh, but we, there is a big, big appetite from these markets for our product. Um, and I think that's really where it becomes really serious, is when you're expanding, when you're exporting a product, we always import uh, products in mm-hmm. the region and i think it's very very important to start exporting stuff we have a beautiful concept it's homegrown we're not copying anything a brand, from abroad we're really we we did something amazing and i think it's time that we you know export something that has been homegrown to the world and be proud of it so Mm -hmm. I think that's where we are we're at that point uh, in time
0: I guess it'll always be a UAE based business in terms of that's where your roots are that's where you started Um, but then you can take the model of building and distributing the bikes to any city is that right? under the Cherry Cycle name yeah Okay. And so can you tell us what you're what looking means. at London? Oh, or sorry. I thought yeah. you were going
2: to ask what cherry cycles mean. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we can get into that as well.
0: Um, but yeah. yeah,
2: let's talk about London. Yeah. Tell us after. about the
0: markets, you know, where you want to go and what you're looking at right now.
2: Um, we looked, we studied London extensively, to be honest. Uh, it's it's easy to set up. The ru- rules and regulations are very clear. Uh, there is a growing market. The city is investing heavily in cycling lanes. A lot of people will argue with me that it's not safe to cycle in London. I would argue otherwise, but it's okay. <laughs> We won't get into you that. You would argue, let them try the UAE. <laughs> let them try the UAE, exactly. Thank you. Um, and we are looking at Paris as well. Mm-hmm. So France is another market. I think for Paris, because of, you know, th- the rules and regulations are slightly harder and it's harder to set up a business in France. Uh, I think we would go in with a local uh, partner there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as well as we, we are looking at transforming our bikes from, um, you know, standard bikes into e-bikes. Uh, so that is something we're really working on this year as well to, uh, in, in in the case of product development because there is a very big appetite, especially for people who tour Europe. So they go from France to Italy or, you know, they do a, a big uh, stretch of, of cycling. They need... Um, that electric thing would help them, you know. It just it makes it more more of a fun trip rather than just sure. like, uh, killing yourself on a bicycle. Um, <laughs> sure. and yeah, yeah. I mean, essentially we just want, I think, I don't know. Now when Zena was talking, I think our ultimate goal is to go out of business. And I don't say this, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not like I want to be out of business. We want to reach a point where nobody's producing new unless they need to, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And, uh, to reach that point, you have to first from the supply side, produce really high quality items all the time that last long. Mm -hmm. And with today's consumerism and capitalism, it it is very hard, but our aim is to really upcycle everything, not only bicycles. You can literally upcycle every single thing in your daily life. Mm -hmm. You can wear clothes that are upcycled. You can get old glass bottles and upcycle them into cups. You can um, upcycle shipping containers. Anything can be upcycled and repurposed into something else. So it doesn't stop at a bicycle. We just started with a bicycle, but really, It can go into so many different verticals And make every purchase A conscious purchase Where Mm -hmm. you can not only be good to the environment But also give back Uh, A container that you outfit or upcycle for a hotel um, into a yoga room, for example, Mm -hmm. you can do the same for a refugee family that needs a place to stay, you know, and it's done in certain places. It's just not so well packaged. It's not so well uh, structured. So I think we can take the structure and apply it to anything and and make it work. You know, this
0: is super interesting because we live in a world where basically it's planned obsolescence, right? So companies will make products that they know either from a technical or just a manufacturer perspective are going to be obsolete in a few years where you are trying to do exactly the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. You are trying to build a sustainable world where yeah. we take the same products and keep them fresh and yeah. keep yeah. them usable. And, uh, I think it's beautiful what you said about, you know, applying the same concept to other types of products. And, you know, do you have serious intentions of doing that? Yes. Are you going to branch out into other types of product lines?
2: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think uh, it's very interesting because today we were at One Life in D3 mm. um, yep. and we were talking to the founder of One Life. He's a great guy. And uh, we were just having this dialogue about companies and corporates and where we are today and what are people really seeking. Mm. And I think it's really impactful when someone walks to your door and goes like, Zaina, I want to buy a bicycle from you and this upcycled piece of furniture and this. And you can give that person exactly what how they're contributing. One, to the environment and things that they can understand, like metrics that they can actually digest. Mm-hmm. But also if, they're, if there's a giving back or social consciousness to it, then you can tell them like you've been able to feed four people because of your purchase. I think these metrics make... People purposeful in the way they consume and in the way they think about products. And I think a lot of this overconsumption and the whole industrial revolution got us to a place in life where we don't think we just do, and we believe that the you know the overshadowing uh, progress of consumption and conception of more, whether it's food, whether it's products, whether it's fashion is the cause of our happiness. Mm. But now everybody's realizing that it's really not true because most people are unhappy, Mm -hmm. even with good paying jobs, even when they're not sick and they have good health, you know, they have everything they need to be happy. They're realizing that they're not happy. So then what makes you happy except knowing that you are contributing to better lives and you're contributing to the environment and you are being choosy about how you think? I think once you gain ownership of your mind and the decision-making process you naturally become happier. You know, you choose because you're choosing you. You're choosing your own individual voice that Mm -hmm. comes from within. So it's already putting you in a place where you're kind of sidelining yourself. And I think... Today, like uh, Najib was telling us, like they want to buy a car, the one life uh, co founder and they want to buy a car, and he's like i don't know if this company's ethical or not i don 't know if this company's ethical or not. I have to research, and even then you know their pre- their PR departments shut everything out and it 's not transparent to me, and I want it to be you know like mm-hmm. I have a right, and yeah. he's so right. Consumers today need to know what they're contributing to, mm. they need to know every penny that they pay for this company or that company, where is it going?" are they getting fair payment? Are the people who are producing it in good conditions? It's important, you know. It's important because uh, that's how we progress as a community and as a nation and as countries. Like that is how we get move forward.
0: Yeah, and unfortunately, I can think of one recent scandal that you know, even if you wanted to be an ethical consumer of a car, you know, there was a major car producer yeah. that had uh, you know serious issues. With,
1: we know, you what
2: know you're talking about exactly
0: right. So it's well, very difficult. We uh, about it this, this morning. <laughs> it was an emission scandal. Look it oh, up. Oh <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. So, so, we spoke about it this morning. Yeah. So,
0: um anyway, I guess my point is is like cherry cycle, you know, clearly I'm here in your in your storage facility and I can see the bikes that you're sourcing are, you know, repurposed, you're doing the work and then, you know, upcycling them. Um my question around here is like how can people be sure and trust, you know, the companies that that they're getting their products from and their services from?
1: I I think there's many ways to do that. Um for us we're very transparent with you. So ask the questions. I Mm -hmm. think the first thing is ask the questions. If you have a doubt about a certain car that you want to buy, probe someone, go there and go like, I want to know. It is my right to know. And if they don't answer you, you have your answer. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first step towards it. So like being in all these farmers markets, we used to get people all the time asking us, you know, what refugee camps do you work with? Mm -hmm. How do I know? How do I know? And I think If if you're doing it right, and Mm -hmm. if you're doing it ethically, and if you're really doing what you're preaching, you will have footage about that. You will have actual... proof points. Yes. And I think that's very important. And um, our work with refugee camps has never been about just taking pictures of kids and slapping them left, right, and center, but it's more about giving them programs and putting, putting them through initiatives that make sense. We work with volunteers, we work with organizations that you can reach out to and ask on your own, you know, so there's a sense of, um, transparency that we like to provide to our clients because it is their right to know, but it's also important for them to know about the other organizations and groups we're working with that deserve a recognition. Mm -hmm. And we don't hide this information. We don't believe I think competition today is no longer just about competition, but more about collaboration. Being a social business, if I give you all the NGOs that I work with or the volunteers, you know what? I want to give them to you because if you ever want to do something, I want you to use them. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's not about you stealing my leads. Like, no, social business is about sharing. You it should know? Be and more it's, a collaborative. Yes, yeah. it's a great place. Yes, it's a great place to Tell us do more that.
0: specifically exactly what you're doing with the, uh, the refugee camps.
1: So um, we do that every year. We do one drop-off. So for every five bicycles we sell, we donate a bicycle to a child in a refugee camp. Mm -hmm. Um, We worked... All year, last year, 2017, at the end of it, we worked with two organizations, one's called Mishwar, one's called Chain Effect, both of them are in Lebanon, and they're kind of being the thought leaders behind cycling in the city, and also Lebanon is a very dangerous, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you've been, it's a dangerous place to cycle, and mm-hmm. it's it's yeah, insane. I've, I've
0: been to Beirut uh, yeah. one time. <laughs>
1: uh, it's a beautiful place, it and is, yeah. there's a lot of people get, getting out on their bicycles and hustling through anyways, regardless, but uh, we've worked with them basically to set up something that they've been working on for a while, what we did was provide them the bicycles and any sort of, you know, kind of added value that they wanted. Mm -hmm. But what it is was setting up a bike-sharing platform. So what they wanted to do is in Nahr al-Badid, a camp that's in Lebanon, they set up um, basically a stand, so multiple stands, I would say three or four, and they had different bikes, and they wanted to have these bikes being shared by the community instead of selecting a few students or selecting a few key people in the community or in the refugee camp Mm to own the bikes. Instead, they had these bike stands where people would take it from point A to B and it's owned by the entire refugee camp. It's a camp. shared resource, yeah. yeah. So that was the first time ever in the world that a refugee camp had a kind of uh, a bike sharing system put in place. How that goes is something only time will tell, right? Yeah. And also their work and their constant checkup with these uh, ref- with the refugee camp lets us know if this is something we can duplicate on a more uh, global level or somewhere else. So we do different programs. The year before, for example, we worked with uh, a refugee camp uh, in um, Jordan, on on the border of Jordan and Syria. What this camp does is we wanted to set up um, an educational platform. So for example, if you excel in school, Mm -hmm. you get to take a bike. Mm. So you have to... in in refugee camps, kids don't like to go to school. It's the last thing they want to do. They want to play in the neighborhood but we all know that for any kid in an underprivileged community education is key. It's very very essential for Mm. their progression for their growth, for their motivation anything. And that's the source of point that kids don't want to do and also most schools in refugee camps are sponsored by donors or they're from the honor so the educational system is not super massively good. And so to keep these kids in school, we're like, listen, if you If you do good this week in math, if Mm. you do better than last week, you'll get a bicycle. Mm. So suddenly, at least for a few months, good months, we were able to keep kids coming to school on a weekly basis and trying to excel in the topic that they were studying.
2: Mm. And it's very important to note that we don't actually send our bikes because that's a bad carbon footprint and shipping and and all that stuff. We try to find a merchant that is close to the refugee camp, basically, and we try to source the bikes from him Mm -hmm. or her, I mean... Uh, so it benefits someone you know in the local community, so we 're not kind of uh, shipping our own bikes or uh, adding to the carbon footprint of shipping bikes mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, so it benefits someone locally and it benefits the refugee camps so it's i mean we try and we try to tweak it, I think. We always try to tweak uh, the impact and the give back program uh, mm-hmm. to suit that refugee camp and just to improve our impact.
0: One of the things I wanted to ask you about is that I've seen you over the past couple of years and mm-hmm. I've seen how much effort you, know, you put into this business and how much passion you put into it. And it, it's hard to be an entrepreneur. So I want to give you a chance to tell us about some of the challenges um, that you faced and some of the, the, I guess, the learnings and the recommendations and the wisdom you would pass along to other entrepreneurs.
2: Um, it is definitely hard. I mean, it's it's not for everyone. Uh, some people don't enjoy the unpredictability. It's not as sexy as people make it seem. Like you're leaving your full-time job to, to do this. It's really not... I think it's much harder. You know, you don't have the predictability of an income at the end of the month. You're building something. And every day you question whether what you're building is really viable and really sustainable. And, um, Nobody is tapping you on your back. You have to really believe in yourself. You have to believe in your team. You have to believe in your product. And it's very, very difficult because you face a lot of challenges on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Whether it's the bank calling you, or your licensing is more expensive this year, or oh, we didn't, we don't have enough cash flow to pay our employees by the end of the month because our payment terms, uh, you know, people, some uh, customers didn't stick to their payment terms. Mm. And it, it is. You are always being challenged. And question, you know, things are thrown your way to question whether you really want to do this or not. And if you really, really don't believe in what you're doing, and if you really, really don't, um, you know, have the knack for this unpredictability and risk, um, it's not for you, basically. Mm-hmm. We just were crazy people that like <laughs> this kind of, uh, you know. We like it. We, uh, I, I, I enjoy this better than I have had a full time job. And it's beautiful because you have money to travel and you have, um, you know, less responsibility. Because at the end of the day, you're, you know, if you don't, if if the owner of the company, does, I mean, yes, you're not getting your salary if the owner doesn't have money to pay their employees. But it's there's a bigger, you know, uh, your your conscience. Um, is just pushed and pulled more when it's your own business because mm-hmm. it's your responsibility to keep you know everything alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep the on,
0: lights on and yes, keep, yes, keep on business running. Yes, on a daily running. basis, yes. and you
2: never get time off. I mean, the other day we were uh, listening to this very inspiring uh, woman. She's talking about her business, and someone asked her, "Like, do you get the time? Do you ever get time off?" And she's like, "No. Like, do you ever tell your little kid, do uh, 'Don't go cry in the corner. It's my weekend.' Like, you don't. You, you really. Yeah. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Mm-hmm. Um, if your baby's crying, you need to attend to 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 that baby. So it's it's just. I mean. It's very exciting and challenging and it is your own time and you get to, you know, control your own, uh, you know, daily schedule in life. And if if you're excited by that, then it's for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if there is something you really believe in and you're really doing it because you're out of conviction, then this is for you. Um, But it's it's not for everyone, that's for sure. So
0: is that what sustains you then is like the, the core mission? of what Cherry Cycles is about. We talked about sustainability, the upcycling, yeah. and, and that's really what keeps you moving forward and keeps you motivated. Absolutely.
2: I want I want this product that is homegrown to be everywhere in the world. And I want it to be known that this is a product that grew in the region. I don't want, you know, it's, it's very important. Like, I'm originally Palestinian. That's mm. how I want to keep my mark in the world. That's the representation of Palestinians that I want on the world, mm. um, of this beautiful business. This business has no race. It has no religion. It's beautiful colored bicycles that get you from point eight point b it's beautiful for the environment it's beautiful for the community and it's beautiful for your own wellness and that's what i want to export you know it's not only about the product it's about what we're exporting with that product and the story that it, it tells and i think yeah for sure that's what keeps me going absolutely Sameer. Yeah. Well, I think like, uh, just to touch on, like you
1: mentioned advice. And I think like one thing is very important is it's so hard to give other startups or other people who want to start their startup advice. Cause I think advice is something that you ask for, for starters. It's, it's very depending on the situation you're in, mm. but in general, I think one thing that's really important for any startup or any entrepreneur is mental health. And we barely ever talk about that. And I think it's before anybody else's responsibility, it's your responsibility as somebody who's studying a business or leaving your job or even way advanced into your startup world is to look at yourself and do a mental health check and say, am I good? Am I okay? Am I feeding my body? Am I nourishing my soul? Am I balanced? Even if balance is not the same definition for you as it is for other people, mm. but do these check-ins. I think that is very important because it puts you in a state of mind that if tomorrow your business fails, uh, are you going to, Just pick up the pieces, acknowledge what it is, and have the spiritual strength to move on and do something else and realize and acknowledge what it is. And I think that really separates you in any situation in your life, whether it's a job, a corporate job, or your own business, or um, moving countries. In any decision that you make, you always have that decision. Are you okay? Do you want this? Uh, When we hear startups here are are so hungry to scale, you speak to anybody, they're creating businesses, they're creating ideas and creative uh, out-of-the-box thinking just because they want to sell it and exit. Like this notion, is it your notion? Is it what you want to do? Or is it, are you fine living a small and humble life, serving a few clients and that's okay? But that's your choice. It's nobody else's choice, no matter who tells you what, you know? So I think these mental checks keep you in check. It keeps you... first of all, loyal to the voice that's within you. Mm-hmm. And it makes you happy every day, waking up wanting to do what you want to do, not realizing that your dream has been hijacked by a VC or someone else. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important that you do that um, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm.
0: So I want to follow this thread and then switch to like you know more personal questions, I think, as we, we wrap up our time here. But related to what you just said, um, do you have people in your life who continue to inspire you and challenge you and encourage you, um, you know, to To think about what it is that you're doing and just frame the entire business that you have and your mental health as well, the
1: yes. whole thing. Yes, um, we do for sure. Um, my mom has been a great motivator. She's mm. like the person who always gets things done and she takes... No matter how close or far she is, wherever she is, she always takes a load off of our chest. So I think it's very important and it's very inspirational also as a woman who believes in us. Like at first she was like you graduated from McGill, top of your class to be bike mechanics and mm-hmm. another family, Arab family, you would think that's blasphemy you know mm-hmm. for her it was like do your thing you know mm-hmm. do whatever you need to do um but i think also uh, communities have become a very important part of our life and we've realized through it that uh, we're part of a community called sandbox that's a global community of change makers in the world who are just changing the way we are and um, finding better systems finding better political systems whether economic political social business wise mm-hmm. um, technology wise we're just a group of people literally around the world who are over a thousand three hundred people, four hundred people now. So There's a large group um, now, yeah. yeah, that are just creating change, and it feels like the family that understands you no matter what. Even if you don't, even if you haven't met every single member, you can be with them in a room, and it could last for hours. And I think this family in itself has served us in so many ways uh, mm. for our mental health, and also for our business and for our personal life, our social life. We have friends all over the world because of it. Friends that we've talked about the most vulnerable things, and that. This realization that there's humanity that could be very different from you, but also have your same set of anxieties um, and sometimes even more gruesome experiences makes you humbled. And it is that openness and fairness that you barely find in the world that we are seeking to keep going. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been a very big pillar for me in terms of inspiration and growth. There's something that only
0: somebody who has been through similar experiences to yours and can relate to them, you can share that and create that community. Exactly. And also willing
1: to share. Like I think that is community a long time ago when you used to take a house, even like our grandmothers and ancestors, they used to know all their neighbors, everything about them. Uh, They used to help each other out unconditionally today you don't see this. We barely know our neighbors. Mm. We barely say hello to people in the elevator. Uh, How did this happen? You know, so Sandbox is really the community of our ancestors. It's the community where it's always looking out for each other, always, you know, not just helping each other, but being invested in each other's journeys in life, wherever that may take the individuals. It's really about the purpose of where we want to be. What life do we want to create? What world do we want to see? What world do we want our children if we want to get Children, what world do they, do we want them to live in? Mm-hmm. Um, and what future should they have? Yes, yeah. what is the future of our environments and worlds? And we're in systems today. Every country has its own rules, regulations. Politics plays a big role in our lives, but we realize through this community that we have a choice and we have a voice, and we don't have to choose something that feels inhumane. Mm-hmm. And I think that in itself is very, um, very inspirational. And, very, and we're very grateful to be a part of it as well. Mm.
0: I wanted to thank you. Thank, thank being...
1: you. <laughs> we're
2: sorry about all the noise in the cracker. Yeah, oh, that's okay. It's it's sorry cause fun. sorry because it's so hot in here. The furnace.
0: <laughs> it's good to be in your space and see what you're it's okay. really like yeah. Yeah. To, well, uh, to build a business. Thank so thank you, Rania. Thank you, Zaina. Thank you. And, um, <laughs> you know, look forward to seeing many more great things coming out of Cherry Cycle as you perhaps move on to other types of products and yeah. just see where life
2: We'll always keep you posted. That's you. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So if you could tell us where our listeners can hear, find out more information about yeah, you guys. Sure. sure.
1: So our website, yeah. mm-hmm. www.cherrycycles.com C-H-A-R-I-C-Y-C-L-E-S. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also on Instagram at Cherry Cycles, same spelling and on Facebook, same Cherry spelling, same spelling. <laughs> um, Email, hello at cherrycycles.com. Very simple, straightforward. We're accessible. Um, I think the one thing that if you've ever noticed about our business or if you've ever interacted with us before you even got to know us as a Mm -hmm. client is that you know ask us questions we're there we'll answer you right away Mm uh
2: we care except around christmas time when we're santa and overwhelmed with bicycle (laughs) orders we try to answer that. any other time of the year Uh, but like we're very you know if you have any questions
1: or doubts or anybody wants to ask anything just like reach out anywhere Mm -hmm. we'd love to answer anything and that's it yeah
0: great great thank you so much again and i can tell you all the listeners out there it's an amazing product and they no, they're not paying thanks. me to say this so, <laughs> you know buy one for your family member or something like that and uh you know support uh, cherry cycle yeah. which is great so thanks thank you so again much. for being on thanks the show so
1: much. thank you so thanks. much
0: you can check out this episode show notes on our website at streams slash cherry cycles We'd love to connect with you. So follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.